On this episode of Cinema's Smorgasbord presents We Do Our Own Stunts, Jackie Chan is off to the United States both for his own protection and to break into the American film industry, starting with the Robert Klaus-directed The Big Brawl from 1980. Welcome to We Do Our Own Stunts, a chronological look at the life and work of martial arts superstar Jackie Chan. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as always is the world's deadliest man, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? I'm pretty good, Doug. <laughs> Pretty good. How about in, a, in a scale of one to a hundred, where would you fall on that? Fifty. Fifty? No, that's bad, right? I, I, here's the thing: it's really hard because of you know going to school. I feel like anything that's below eighty percent is kind of fucked. But yeah. in real life, that's I do lots of things that probably don't get above fifty percent, and I'm like, that's fine. You know, like I don't, I don't know, I don't know how to how to evaluate. It's it's an okay day. I I, I feel a little off physically, uh, partly because like a real like a real doofus, Doug. I, I I was at a show yesterday and I decided to to move around like the youngins. Now you I, said show. I, show means a hardcore punk. Yes, 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 yes. And I uh, I bruised my heel, I think, mm. uh, and it's a real old man injury, real injury for an, for an old older man. And uh, so that that sort of put me in a mood all day. However, otherwise, I've had a really good day, I guess, you know? Liam, I have a question for you. Sure. What was the last time you got into a physical fight with somebody? Oh, I don't fight, Doug. I have no. No, I know you're a pacifist, but certainly before you decided upon that, there must have been incidents. Oh, when I was real young, but I don't really count those because they were all so weak. Like, I got in a fight in, like, fifth grade, and the kid just, like pushed me over and sat on my stomach and like bounced up and down on my stomach till I threw up. <laughs> uh, you know what? I will say actually, and this was funny enough, this was the world's deadliest man, Liam O'Donnell. I know, I know, I know. I, know. Uh, I, I guess I did technically get into a fight my sophomore year, which was right before I really was like into the idea of pacifism. Uh, so that was I was probably like fifteen, sophomore uh, year of of, of, of high, like school, high school of high school, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was really it wasn't a whole fight, but a kid did swing on me and oh. didn't make contact, and then I took some shots at him. But someone did sort of come in and break it up. It wasn't like a fight fight. Other than that, I haven't had any fights. Now that doesn't mean I haven't been beaten up. I was sure. Absolutely. I was. I, I have been assaulted for the purpose of robbery twice. In mm. which case. I wasn't really gonna fight back because it was, it was it was a few people and did they have weapons? Uh, no, 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 no. They just came up from behind and right. just didn't realize what was happening. And in one of those cases, they didn't even rob me because there was too many people around. Uh, and so they just they they were they had been chasing. Never mind. Me. Well, what happened was they tried to grab me and I ran. And then when I got to the entrance of the mall, I thought. Ayo, there's all these people. I'm good, and I was in the sense that they didn't take my bag. But then they were like, "Well, since we can't get his bag, we'll just beat him up right here." And then they did. They beat me up. I wouldn't say I shouldn't say beat me up, but they hit me and kicked me a bunch. And then when I got up and I was bleeding a little bit and feeling not so great, and everyone's just looking at me at the mall entrance while they're waiting for the bus, and I go, "Thanks, y'all. Thanks, thanks everybody for your help." (laughs) And literally, someone said, "So because this is in New Jersey, someone said, Ayo, get fucked.'" (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, cool, and I went to the ball. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're okay, Liam. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, but yeah, and, and then, you know, a couple people swinging on me at shows, but I haven't actually tried to, like, square up with someone since high school because, mm-hmm. you know, I just generally avoid those sorts of scenarios. I will say I did see someone definitely get hurt and have to go to a hospital because they attacked me uh, at a time when they <laughs> should not have. And so oh, all, all, the, all they did was hit me in the back of the head, and then a variety of people made sure that they uh, – Knew they weren't welcome to do that, uh, and then they had to leave in a in a in an ambulance. And hey, I, someone's attacking our little buddy. <laughs> I felt bad. I felt bad. I, I, honestly, I didn't even know some of the people. I think they were just like, "Hey, that's a guy who shouldn't be getting hit," and then they just jumped in. And I was like, "Okay, everybody, calm down. It's really not that big a deal." <laughs> uh, we're starting today, as we have in the last few episodes, just looking into the future a bit. If you're a longtime listener, you know that we are currently in Jackie's brief American excursion, which includes today's film, The Big Brawl, a.k.a. Battle Creek Brawl, as well as our next episode's feature, The Cannonball Run, which I know you're looking forward to, Liam. Uh, after that, we're going to be going back to Hong Kong for 1982's Dragon Lord, then taking a strong left turn into Jimmy Wangu's Fantasy Mission Force, then back into the dregs of Low Way for the cobbled together Fearless Hyena 2. And after that, we get the trifecta of Winners and Sinners, Project A, and Wheels on Meals, which brings us up to 1984. And that's when it's all gravy, Liam. You looking forward to that gravy? I am looking forward to that gravy. Currently, not so much the gravy, I would say, which isn't to give any uh, thoughts away in regards to today's film, which uh, I was... I was surprised in terms of my reaction in a few different ways, but I am particularly curious to hear your own, Liam. But before we get to that, there are a few introductory topics I'd like to get into. Since the last time we recorded, Liam, there's been some Jackie Chan news, and one of the biggest was kind of a little bit odd when a clip from a recent Jackie Chan film, Ride On, went viral. It, uh, there's a segment in that movie where he's watching clips of his past stunts with an actress who was playing his daughter. Uh, initially, it was posted with this, oh, how, you know, look how sweet this is. And it was even, I think, at first presented as if it was actually his daughter for whatever reason. And that, of course, then brought up uh, a lot of backlash in regards to people who had a little bit more insight in regards to Jackie Chan's actual relationship with his children, which has not been so nice. Uh, were you aware of this, Liam? Did you see this while it was going on? So, yes, but I mostly, unlike I think you saw some of the backlash, I only saw the positive, though I will say in multiple clips I saw where people posted this thing, other people came on, not necessarily to criticize Jackie Chan, but to point out, because these people weren't giving context, this is a scene from the movie Ride On right. that is not his daughter. Like, right. and, and I think, I don't know that either the Chan group, whatever that is, like I'm sure he has representatives and stuff, or even the people from Ride On, I'm not convinced they put out this clip to fool people. I, right. I think this clip was put out initially to promote the movie because that's where yeah. the money is, mm-hmm. right? But yeah. I think stupid people don't yes. understand that uh, – uh, it just makes sense to use clips. We're going to talk about a movie in a little bit that does the same thing. If you have Jackie Chan in your movie, why not use clips from his other movies? Just because they're using those clips doesn't mean this is meant to be a true story, especially <laughs> since this is a movie, from my understanding, in which Jackie Chan teaches a horse kung fu. Is that what this movie's about? <laughs> like, I, just, I know he has a horse buddy. I know that's part of the plot of this movie. <laughs> the idea that like people saw this clip and thought, man... Someone just happened to be there to capture this real, legitimate, true story moment of Jackie Chan showing clips of his movies to his daughter is the level of stupid around that, Doug, is so high. I mean, I guess not if you're like a 14-year-old who doesn't know who Jackie Chan is, right? But 
the numbers of full-on adults and even Jackie Chan fans who watched this clip and thought, this is real. It's mind-blowing to me that people thought this was a real thing. I mean, we, we struggle with this a little bit on our show, right, where his public image has been so refined in North America in particular that – you know, you know, when this initially came out, there it wasn't that there was no one questioning whether it was a scene from a movie, because it obviously was. But it's just like, oh, Jackie Chan, he's a good guy, right? He only does good things. He People kind of treat him like almost like a child sometimes, even though he's an elderly man at this point. But you know what I mean, where it's just like they only know the image that has been presented to them via, you know, Hollywood marketing and whatnot. So the fact that there's all this kind of darkness, both in his past and in current day, it, it has just kind of bypassed them entirely. I think it I mean I hate to say it but I think part of that Doug is um a I don't know if you want to say jingoism or a cultural bias but basically a perspective in which if someone's English is not mm-hmm. not even that he can't speak it right it's just not as fluid or as smooth as uh, native speakers might be and therefore he must be a simple goofus and yeah. it's like no, he's a very savvy, smart businessman who's cultivated an image of himself. And there are just some parts of the country or the, the world, rather, that that works very well. And other parts where people are a little more skeptical of it. And the U.S., for the most part, has just bought the fuck in. We just want him to be the, the goofy, old, you know, Chinese man that we just think is fun and sweet. And like, not that he probably isn't at times that person, but it's a very cultivated persona that uh, I I don't see a lot of people questioning in a way that seems very strange to me, considering other celebrities who are more white and American are constantly interrogated about their personas as just a form of general entertainment hey here's an attractive person who said something we don't like once let's make their life hell for the next few years until they do a movie we like again what do you mean she said she doesn't like snow white yeah that's that's the thing that's going on today (laughs) i don't even know who said that but sure that sounds right The, the the lead in the snow white remake apparently she said something about not enjoying snow white when she was growing up and people are tearing into her today for it Again, this is the thing where um, there's this – I was just thinking about this, and I, and I think this in some ways can apply to someone like Jackie Chan, but probably more of his other sort of uh, contemporaries, right? Uh, in the world of acting, you can't actually be someone who doesn't want to be famous and still have enough money to live like a rich person, right? Like – we kind of assume like anyone who wants to be an actor also wants to be famous, even though we know that celebrity is a fickle beast that can destroy you as quickly as it lifts you up. But like in reality, I think some people don't want to be international superstars. They just want to know they're going to get paid well. and They're going to get good roles. But inevitably, that means someone's going to dig through your trash or like read your emails. Like it's just part of the reality of that world. But it's very strange how little the U.S. press is interested in interrogating anything about Jackie Chan's image, uh, unless they have to, you know. Well, this is from the NME, uh, an article specifically about this recent incident. Jackie Chan's daughter has reportedly claimed that the sweet viral video of them enjoying a family moment is, quote, fake. Earlier this week, Chan received praise from fans after an emotional clip of him and his daughter watching his old stunts circulated on social media. However, the clip is actually a scene from the 69-year-old's new film, Ride On, and the actress seen sharing a tearful moment with him is not his daughter. You know, it's a movie. (laughs) Chan's real daughter, Etta Ng Chok Lam, has since spoken out, claiming that her father is homophobic. 
and that he abandoned her and her wife long ago. According to the Mirror, Edis said that they were left homeless as a result of his sentiments towards their sexuality. They also revealed that they were struggling to support themselves with Edis sharing that she had once slept under a bridge. It was previously reported that Chan's daughter also attempted suicide at multiple times in the past. Fact checkers on Twitter, however, have clarified that Chan didn't abandon Edda because of her sexuality. Instead, it stated that he cut off contact with his mistress, Elaine Ng, when she was still pregnant with his daughter. Pink News also previously reported when asked about his daughter's sexuality, Chan simply responded, if she likes it that's fine it, this is one of those incidents where it's messy right it's not just one thing uh this article seems kind of defensive a little bit but maybe rightfully so in regards to jackie's uh perspective on his daughter in regards to this it's just unpleasant all around if you know what i mean yeah certainly and i think that it's again i don't know that they intended it to be perceived the way it was but it was perceived that way and it's yeah. unfortunate that that's a hornet's nest, hornet's nest of controversy in his life that maybe a clip like this was poorly thought out, you know? On a somewhat more positive note, Liam, recently released was the film Hidden Strike, starring Jackie and John Cena. Uh, this movie, from Scott Waugh, the director of the Need for Speed film and the upcoming fourth Expendables movie, was originally filmed all the way back in 2018 and was meant to come out in 2020, but the COVID pandemic put it on hold for a very, very long time. Reviews for the film has been, have been mixed at best, uh, which has actually been par for the course in regards to a lot of recent Jackie Chan films. Liam, have you seen Hidden Strike? No, that trailer looked terrible. Really, uh, really bad. It, and it, it I have, looked like something from 2018 or maybe even yeah, a few years before that. Yeah, and I have so much affection, obviously, for Jackie Chan, but also for John Cena. And I don't just mean his turn on Peacemaker, which I think a lot of people were charmed by. There's other less uh, appealing projects he's done that I will watch just because he's in it. And I saw this trailer and thought, I'm sorry, John and Jackie, I will not follow you into this one. It just looks stupid and not fun. And, you know, it is what it is. I get it. But it's not for me. I mean, we'll catch up to it eventually. Just like yeah. we'll catch up to that buddy movie with Jackie Chan and Johnny Knoxville from a few years back. I think Rennie Harlan directed that one. Yeah, no, thank you. Well, the exception to the uh, reviews of recent Jackie Chan movies is the recently released animated film Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, which has garnered a lot of positive reviews and seems to take some visual cues from the recent Spider-Verse computer animated films. Jackie voices Splinter. In the film, there was some controversy, Liam, I don't know if you heard about this, from the worst parts of the internet about a moment in the film that suggests that the character of Splinter may have been gay, but has been refuted by the film's director. He said it has to do, it's like a piece of dialogue that was actually referring to a female character and it was a little bit uh, confusing. Uh, Liam, did you see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem? Saw it today. And? It's really great. It's really, really good. <laughs> and speaking of clips, uh, there's a there's a montage moment where the way that the turtles learn uh, martial arts in the film is not as it is in other bits of media where Splinter's a martial arts ma master. He just gets a bunch of videotapes of martial arts stuff, <laughs> both instructional and fictional. And a bunch of the clips of the fictional martial arts films are Jackie Chan films, some of which we've covered. So uh, that that part was fun. I so it was like live action as opposed to computer animated? Uh, they used clips. Like at one point, the animated turtles go to Brooklyn to watch a movie outdoors. They are hiding from the humans, of course, but they're sure. the, and the movie on the screen is actually Ferris Bueller's Day Off. 
<laughs> so they're like on an animated background putting Ferris Bueller's Day Off on the screen. Very well done. And then when they showed this montage, some of the bits were animated, but most of it was actual VHS tapes of instructional karate <laughs> stuff. And some was YouTube clips, so, some very funny viral clips of people doing ridiculous martial arts stuff. And that was a fun, that was a fun detail that they've just been training in martial arts for 15 years. It's not that their dad's a martial arts master per se. So I thought that was fun and at the church in. And there's there's a fight scene where Splinter really gets to show his skills. And there are multiple things he does in that scene that are obviously meant to remind you of what Jackie Chan does in his movies. Right. You know, it's it's interesting that that the movie that we're going to be talking about today, um the big brawl is the first time that we on this podcast have heard Jackie Chan's voice in a movie. Right. Mm -hmm. And at the time his English was not very strong as he is. We'll talk about in just a second, but it's funny that now we've gotten to the point where he doesn't even need to appear, right. That he can just, I mean, he, this isn't the first time he's done voice work, but now he's able just to do voice work, which is kind of funny. Yeah. And it, that it works so well for the character and he's able to, I mean, the problem for him is not just that, because he can oftentimes say the words. It's right. can you act and say the words when it's not your first language? And that's that, hard. Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know? And so the idea with his voice acting is like, he's not just, they didn't just pick him because he has broken English and they need Splinter to have broken English. He is the character and he does it really well. Right. And I, I did think, because we had just watched this movie for this podcast, I thought, man, he's come so far yeah. because he really... It's not just a name. Like, we need a name for the movie. We're going to pick this guy. And weirdly, with this movie, Doug, I felt like that was true of everyone. There's, It's like every voice is a stunt actor voice. Sure. One would think they just picked all these stupid people because they just needed these names to sell the movie. No, everyone fucking kills it as a voice actor and really brings something to the table, which is not actually what I'm used to in a lot of these animated films where, yeah, I recognize the voice, but this could have been anyone could have done this. You know what I mean? Like, the, you don't need that name actor for that character. I felt I didn't feel that way about this movie. I felt like it was very well cast uh, in, in, in every role that stood out, at least. you know. Now, Liam, there's another connection in the movie that we're going to be talking about today mm. to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles universe. Do you know what it is nope no idea the uh actor who plays the uncle character in the big brawl mako did the voice of splinter in the previous computer animated uh, teenage mutant ninja turtles film from 2007 it actually came out after his death i was i was only thinking of him from his role in conan because that is one of my favorite <laughs> movies and so i was like oh it's the conan guy and yes now that you say it he is splinter and i forgot about that he is splinter liam as per usual before we take our break i want to go through a few book excerpts regarding uh what jackie was thinking what was he discussing in regards to this part of his career first up is thankfully now because we've moved into uh, parts of his career that he's more willing to talk about. This is uh, from Never Grow Up, which previously has been a little light in terms of detail. My bosses at Golden Harvest decided that the time was ripe to introduce me to Hollywood to make me more independent and force me to work on my English. They put me on a plane to America alone without a translator or companion. A man named David picked me up at the airport. As soon as he saw me, he started dancing around, striking drunken master poses. This cheered me up after the long and lonely flight. Really excited, he started telling me about the new movie Golden Harvest had set up for me in America. They've reunited the team from Enter the Dragon, he said. It's a great lineup, and the script is awesome, too. I think you'll be a big star over here in no time. 
Oh no, after that string of failures in the 70s trying to turn me into the new next Bruce Lee, I was not too thrilled about walking in his footsteps again. The person in charge of this project was Golden Harvest's international manager, Andre Morgan. He'd worked with Raymond Chow for 12 years and spoke such fluent Cantonese that I was taken aback. At that point, I knew almost no English. Andre assured me that this film, titled The Big Brawl, was going to be huge, and that it would showcase my kung fu skills to American audiences. The budget was $4 million US, a shockingly large amount compared to my Hong Kong budgets. Andre also wanted me to do press interviews and go on TV to raise my profile here. I quickly learned that an American film shoot was completely different from what I was used to in Hong Kong. The American way was very rigid. The director, Robert Klaus, who'd worked with Bruce Lee on Enter the Dragon, stuck strictly to the shot list for every scene and had fixed ideas about where the camera should go and how the actors should be positioned. There was nothing wrong with his way of doing things, but it didn't suit me. In Hong Kong, we fooled around on set to try out different approaches. We would change the dialogue on the spot. This was not allowed in America. My English was so bad anyway that I had to focus all my attention on getting my lines right and forgot to make facial expressions. I would stammer through my speeches looking wooden. Liam, I just wanted to stop here. This is something that he has repeated multiple times. He seems very, very self-conscious about how he comes off in this movie in terms of his performance. And I don't want to jump ahead too much, but I wanted to get your thought on that. Do you feel like he gives a wooden performance in The Big Brawl? I think he gives a performance that is a little out of place in the movie Mm. because the movie is a movie of caricatures. Uh, A lot of the characters in this movie are stupidly over the top just really Mm -hmm. doing the most ridiculous version and he is not doing that again because it's a bit understated uh he's clearly trying to just sort of like get it right that being said it doesn't take away from the movie um in fact i don't if he had decided to play some aspect of his character at 11 let's say sure uh what would it have been like I, i just don't know what he could do I think in order for us to relate to him in this world of cartoon people, it kind of works that he's a little bit more understated, that he's a a little bit more realistic. And the only times he really becomes silly is the times where he doesn't have to rely on language when he's doing his physical acting. And that stuff shines, even though, you know, as we'll get into in a sec, (laughs) this movie does not have the best uh, fight choreography ever. It still has the kind of choreography we know him for, because what he does is mush together comedic slapstick and fighting. Well, there's less fighting in this one. The fucking slapstick's there. If you are into Jackie Chan for the slapstick, the only reason not to like, well, we'll get into all that. But the point is, I think he's underestimating his performance. I think the ways that maybe the movie isn't great are not his fault. Mm -hmm. And I think performance-wise, he doesn't stand out in a way where I'm surprised he didn't become a big star after this. I just don't think this is a star vehicle film. But I am surprised that he sees it as such a, maybe not his worst, but such a not a great performance. I think he's pretty good, actually. And I yeah. think he brings something to a role that's a little underwritten. Um, it really is about a, uh, a a character who doesn't have a lot to set him apart, surrounded by other characters that feel like stereotypes of various things you know (laughs) and like that's fine it's just he's not in the most meaty role when it comes to just over the top stuff to do yeah no 100 percent. jumping ahead a little bit in this uh if uh, in this excerpt the big brawl released in 1980 was a flop i bought a ticket and watched it in the theater i didn't have to worry about being recognized because no one was there a few chinese showed up but americans simply weren't interested although i knew the shoot had been lackluster it was still painful to see the empty auditorium 
The studio wanted me to do publicity to support the film, and they lined up lots of interviews for me. My colleagues had warned me that you needed to be psychologically prepared to face American reporters, but I thought they were making a big deal out of nothing. After everything I'd suffered when I was younger and everything I'd been through, how bad could a press conference be? How is your name pronounced? Are you Bruce Lee's disciple? Can you break a brick with your bare hands? Can you show us some karate? Let's see some kung fu. When all these questions came flying at me, I didn't know how to cope with them. I was famous all over Asia, and people treated me with respect, but here I was supposed to be a performing monkey? For one TV interview, I flew all the way to New York. The host questions were terrible, and my English was worse, so I hardly said a word. In the end, they just cut my segment. That night, I lay on my hotel room bed and cried. This was so much worse than I'd expected. Why did I give up a perfectly good Asian market to come to this place where no one liked me? Liam, I actually have a few clips here. I'll put it in the show notes. Of Jackie Chan on different talk shows in 1980, trying to market this film and i actually think he comes off pretty well in them but he really does get those questions those ridiculous questions how far have we come in regards to international actors international fame you know when it's being presented on u.s television have have we progressed at all as a society uh past this sort of thing where you're just talking cliches and and stereotypes i want to say that we have progressed doug but i'll be honest I don't watch enough media to actually know, like talk sure. shows. I don't watch talk shows. I certainly don't watch morning talk shows. The few times I've seen any recently, it feels like it goes the other direction. Like the host is just preening over whatever guest is there and just acting like they have questions when it's all just about promoting something, right? But does that mean that people aren't still asking inappropriate questions i bet you they are um and i would say while you may not get that live on tv the way he's getting it i know for a fact people still get the kinds of questions in like press days that are just ridiculous right that you just think how do you have a you know like why don't i have your job press person like this is these questions are dumb you know like i don't know i i just think that um i think that probably things have gotten a little bit better but maybe not as much as i would hope I would hope that there's a little bit more cultural sensitivity at the very least. But boy, you can abs- even when Jackie Chan was breaking through in the 90s, there were still a lot of TV appearances, which is just which were like asking him to do stunts on stage and asking him about, you know, a kung fu from a very, you know, very Bruce Lee focused position. I mean, that's who we knew, right? We just keep relating him back to the one person we're all kind of familiar with. Yeah, right. What I want to get your perspective on, by the way, when we talk about this movie, is whether this is trying to still be in the tradition of Bruce Lee. But we'll get to that in just a little bit. This is from I Am Jackie Chan, his book from many years back that he co-wrote, <laughs> supposedly. Uh, said it was better in regards to the big brawl. This was better than working with Low Wei, but rehearsing the script, I felt my jaw tighten as I said each line. I was concentrating so hard on speaking the words properly that I could barely hear what was what I was saying. Any emotion, any passion or feeling was blocked by a rocky wall of unfamiliar syllables. And then there was the action. I was used to directing my own stunts. Even if someone else was the actual coordinator, I always had the freedom to shape the intricate dance that made up fighting sequence, adding my own unique spin. Improvisation was at the heart of all my performances. Even a scene that just called for me to run down a street, if I saw a way to do it that would add a burst of humor or adrenaline, I'd reshape the scene to incorporate the move. But that wasn't the American way. The director, Robert Klaus, had scripted and storyboarded every scene in advance, deciding exactly where the cameras would be placed and how the action would move. This worked when he was directing Bruce Lee. Bruce's martial arts were tightly controlled, a compact whirlwind of energy that could be captured in a single master shot. But my style was wilder, more open and acrobatic. As my films became more sophisticated, I found myself running through fight sequences in two, three, and four separate takes, shot from different angles to get every facet of the intricate choreography on screen. 
We ran through one scene in which I was supposed to move from a car to the door of my father's restaurant, which was being held up by mobsters. As I walked around the set, I saw in my mind how the scene could go. Through broken English and physical demonstrations, I showed Klaus my idea. I'd leap forward out of the car, roll into a somersault to stay beneath the line of sight, and then backflip to a position near the door. No, Jackie, he said. Just get out of the car and walk. Just walk, I said in disbelief. Walk. Raining in my frustration, I slowly walked from the spot where the car would be to the restaurant entrance. Then I turned around to face the director and summoned up all of the English at my command. No one will pay money to see Jackie Chan walk. It was a prediction that would later prove tragically correct. I mean, it, it, again, it's, it's interesting to see Jackie, who had already just literally in the last like three, four years, had, had reached that level of international fame, now coming onto a set where he has almost no control and what the result of that would look like. In a few years, he'll try to break through in the U.S. again with the protector, and a similar thing happens. But this is kind of the most interesting thing about the big brawl is that sort of difficulty at its core, where it's all about making one person a star, but they're not letting that person do the things that they did to become famous in the first place. And because there's a lot of people that are there who think that they know better than him in terms of how to make him a star. It's just really interesting. You know, in some ways... The, the creation of this movie is a little bit more interesting than the actual movie itself. Well, I just think that idea of we have a mold, because this is, you know, in some of our other podcasts, Doug, we've covered movies from this time period. Uh, and I think this movie fits into a certain mold of like American period comedy made in yeah. 1980. This is that. It just happens to have Jackie Chan in it. And I think when you're trying to insert a personality like his into something that already is kind of cookie cutter. It's hard to do. And like, while he was an international star at this point, I don't know that he had established enough of who he was for it to shine through compared to say much later movies like rush hour, where it's still not a a fully Jackie Chan movie, but there's parts where whoever is calling the shots knows you got to let Jackie Chan do this or it's not going to mean any. You know what I mean? Like there was more of a you got to do this thing for it to feel like a, a movie with Jackie Chan in it. There are definitely moments in this film, I think, where he shines through, but nothing about the movie is designed to highlight what he can do. Yeah. And certainly in all of these kind of um, stories, it really did feel like he was miserable uh, in this period of his career trying to do this U.S. work. So, I mean, and I guess it is because of his, and it's probably that combination, right? He's, he doesn't have the language to be able to communicate his frustrations. So not only is he not being listened to, that even if they could listen to him, he wouldn't be able to communicate the things that he wants anyway. That had to be so hard, especially. Yeah, no kidding. This that by the way, that idea that he said at the in his most recent book, where they put him on the plane with like no interpreter, no person to help him. The idea is that it would be best if they just let him sink or swim. It's just like you're trying to make him a star, man. It's not like it's Bruce Lee who was like raised in the U.S. for the most part and spoke English fluently. This is a guy who who needs help. So why couldn't they give him a little help? I don't under. I legitimately don't understand. It's just that different mindset, right? And in fact, this is something that in uh, in the book. Um, Inside the Dragon by Clyde Gentry III. There's a, a quote from Rick Myers who he says, I knew that racism was alive and well and living in Hollywood in a very aggressive way. I knew that they were treating him like this little Chinese curiosity instead of the true giant that he was. They were treating him like a little man that they were doing a favor for, which I think at least is what he gets across in terms of his uh, of his telling the story of it. Now, 
Liam, I had read a lot of that information previous to watching this movie. And I mentioned, I think, on our most recent episode that I had seen The Big Brawl before on VHS many, many years back. Going into it this time, I was with... Going into it with the idea that this was not only a very compromised movie, but a very unpleasant one to watch, that it was just Jackie not able to do any action, that it was all just kind of lumbering wrestler types, that it wasn't really fun or funny. So I have to admit, even before we go into our break, I was surprised at how much I still enjoyed it. And I do wonder, and this is something we're going to get into, whether it's because my expectations were reasonable now that they weren't in a way when I saw it first on VHS, because I was seeing it in the wake of Jackie Chan, you know, and Rumble in the Bronx and him getting that kind of uh, uh, American fame for the first time and expecting something like that. Let's take a break. When we come back, I want to get your thoughts on that as well. We're going to talk about 1980s The Big Brawl. (laughs) What is the biggest difference between you and and Bruce Lee? Was he, were you a fan of his, Jackie, when you were? Uh, I met Bruce Lee twice in the same studio. Uh, you were working on the same picture? No, different picture. Oh. And also, like, uh, he wrote another one. Just, yeah, how are you? Because he know martial art, I know martial art. So I saw... You both Bruce, know martial yeah, arts. I saw Bruce Lee's picture a lot. Every, every picture I saw. Then, the all audience, same thing. You know, you saw Bruce Lee's picture. Then, the end comes out. You're all out of the theater. Just, you know... Just want to do something, want to learn, you know, because the, the picture make oh, you, yeah. 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 So, when one day the director gave me the script. Can you, said, excuse me, there's a fly flying around. Can you catch him? Are you quick enough to catch him? <laughs> He's got it. <laughs> He'll never dance with him. A young Asian-American martial artist is forced to participate in a brutal street fighting competition as 1980's The Big Brawl, a.k.a. Battle Creek Brawl. In terms of the description from I Am Jackie Chan, he says, My first American movie and not a very easy experience. I play an immigrant who comes to the United States to help protect my grandfather's restaurant. When the local gangsters kidnap my sister-in-law, I'm forced to enter a fighting tournament to win her back. It's surprising that Brawl didn't turn out as well as we expected. Raymond Chow brought in Robert Klaus and Fred Weintraub, the same people who helped make Enter the Dragon so successful. The most frustrating part of making this film was that I had so little control over the stunt design. I'd been choreographing fights in Hong Kong for almost 10 years, and now they were telling me what to do. The film was released in, on August 29th, 1980 in the U.S., on an, and on October 16th, 1980 in Hong Kong. Uh, and as we mentioned already, this is the first time that we have heard Jackie Chan's authentic voice in a movie uh, up to this point. At this, uh, up to this point, uh, his voice had always been dubbed in both Cantonese and Mandarin uh, for his releases. And in fact, uh, he wouldn't dub his own voice in a Hong Kong movie until 1992's Super Cop. So there's a lot of dub Jackie yet to come. Yeah, this was directed by Robert Klaus, American film director best known for his, uh, Enter the Dragon and other action adventure and martial arts films. It, he actually was the director that they would call upon when they're trying to make martial arts superstars of a different kind. He directed Jim Cotta, which is that kind of gymnastics-based one, The Ultimate Warrior from 1975, which I think originally was going to star Gordon Liu, and China O'Brien, which of course has Cynthia Rothrock in it, Black Belt Jones. He was a martial arts director, but that really all launched from Enter the Dragon. I always have kind of mixed feelings on Robert Klaus, mostly because of what he did with Game of Death and how kind of exploitative that was afterwards. This was written by Robert Klaus and Fred Weintraub, as Jackie mentioned earlier. Uh, Fred Weintraub was an American film and television producer and writer. He all, he worked on a lot of those movies that uh, Robert Klaus worked with as well. And actually was executive vice president of Warner Brothers in the 70s. Uh, and uh, and that is one of the things that led to 
the rise of Bruce Lee because he was the producer of Enter the Dragon. The cast of The Big Brawl includes Jackie Chan as Jerry Kwan, the great Jose Ferrer as Dominici, Christine DeBell from A Talking Cat as Nancy, Mako as Herbert Kwan, uh, some other familiar faces as well, including Hardboiled Haggerty, the uh, the pro wrestler. Judo Jean LaBelle is here as well. I couldn't actually recognize him in the movie proper, but fans of martial arts might know Jean LaBelle as a very, very tough man, as someone who beat up Steven Seagal in real life at one point. Uh, and yeah, so this was a modestly budgeted but professional Hollywood movie that was designed to make Jackie Chan a star, partially produced, of course, by Golden Harvest. They were going to do with Jackie Chan what they did with Bruce Lee, put him in a starring role. Liam, what did you think of The Big Brawl? You know, I think um, this is a first-time watch for me, and I think maybe I, similar to what you were talking about before, was biased because of all the negative things I had heard. I think this movie is more fun than I've heard people give it credit for. Mm -hmm. uh, it's overall an enjoyable experience. Um, it's not great, and I think that it's a good example of what I was describing earlier, a 1980s period piece comedy, right? A certain sure. There's a certain kind of goofy tone of this kind of comedy. It's a good example of that. As we've discussed on other shows that we do, often this kind of comedy it does not hit me very well. Uh, and and to be fair, there's a number of comedic moments in this film that I just find okay. That being said, uh, Jackie Chan does get to do a good amount of physical comedy in this. In fact, one of his first fights, he's doing this whole interaction that's about he doesn't want to fight in front of his father because he's promised that he will not fight, but mm -hmm. he is trying to get these guys to, like, not beat him up and there's a certain amount of silliness there that i really enjoyed uh unfortunately when he does decide to actually fight it's a little underwhelming considering what he is capable of and every other person fighting each other in this movie is like they all look like boring wrestlers you know like not even like good wrestlers you know yeah just wrestlers exactly. kind of fake fighting each other and squeezing each other that's about yep. the level of violence uh you know <clears throat> Would this movie have been better if it was more of like a bloody fisticuffs and less of like a goofy fisticuffs? I th I think so. Uh, huh. I, I, I Interesting. Th I think so in the sense that like what you have is a man who clearly can do kung fu against a bunch of people who are only scary because they're physically larger than him. Right. No one does anything interesting in the movie violence-wise. Um, and I do appreciate... Uh, the relationship he has with his father and his uncle. I like both those actors. I think that all kind of works out. Uh, I will say the movie, it treats the kidnapping of his future sister-in-law a <laughs> little too, <laughs> a little too lightly. And it ends in a way that is, it really felt like when they were ending this movie, they're like, look, we're just done, guys. We we can't show you what happened. We just he it literally ends despite the fact that this man has put him in danger over and over again and put his future sister-in-law in danger and has a sex worker pretending to be his sister-in-law in place of his actual sister-in-law. He just looks at Jackie and goes, "All right, I'll take care of it, man. See you back in Chicago." And that's how the movie ends. I love what? it. I, I, it's like the filmmakers are going, "Audience, I know you have a lot of questions about how this will all resolve. We don't have answers for you." The end. <laughs> 
it's wild. It is. It, it's funny because it does kind of echo those kind of kung fu movie endings, right? Where it's just the bad guy's dead. Time to go. Except in this case, the bad guy isn't dead. He just won a competition. All of these dangling threads still exist, and the movie does not care at all. <laughs> I wonder if it was even filmed. I wonder if all the stuff with the sister-in-law, if that was ever meant to be resolved. Because why even bring it up? It doesn't even need to be in the movie. I don't understand. I mean, all of it is confusing to me. But you know what? Like, it is what it is. Like I said, I could probably say a bunch about certain aspects of the movie that were kind of stupid or whatever. But, you know, but <laughs> but that's sort of what the movie is. It's a silly, goofy movie. And I think for people who already find this kind of movie charming, I don't know why they wouldn't love this. It has all of that going on, plus the addition of just high-end slapstick. If we're not going to have Jackie Chan doing amazing acrobatic fighting, at least he we get him doing some really goofy slapstick. And I don't know that that saves the whole movie, but it, it's pretty solid. You know, it's it is there. Uh, but I could see finding this movie as a fan of like Rumble in the Bronx. You know, like if you just were getting into Jackie Chan stuff and you saw him fight for like two hours straight and jumping off of buildings and shit, and then you watch this movie, it's a little underwhelming. Yeah, yeah, which is what I think a lot of people's experience was, including myself, with this movie initially. It is odd that they didn't just fly over a few Golden Harvest stuntmen and have those be the participants, right? They didn't all have to be, uh, I mean, uh, there, there's a variety, I should say, of nationalities, including like a Japanese fighter in this. You could have like, not that you should per- portray a Chinese actor as Japanese, but it's not like they don't do that anyway. Even Mako is Japanese-American. Uh, so it's 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 odd that they went this route of having these big, burly guys who are not martial arts fighters as exclusively almost his opponents in this movie. Just a very strange decision. Liam, this movie takes place in the 1930s. Uh, it's a period piece, as you've mentioned. Um, a lot of Jackie Chan movies are period pieces, really, right? They are supposed to take place in sometimes in some sort of undefined period in the past, which allows things to be kind of simplistic, people not to have guns. Do you think that this movie is believable as a 1930s set movie? Not particularly. I ask you this for a very specific reason, Liam. A, because one of the first lines of dialogue is Christine DeBell saying that Jackie Chan, does he think that he's Batman? Now, Batman, the first detective... Uh, uh, detective comic comic featuring Batman wasn't until 1939. Already a continuity issue. It drove me up the wall, Liam. <laughs> but the other thing I really wanted to bring up is that there is a sequence, we're going to talk about it, involving roller skating in this movie, specifically yep. a roller derby style competition that feels so much like a late 70s, early 80s thing and not at all like a 1930s thing. Why the fuck is it in this movie? I I mean... It doesn't feel like there was any concern about representing the time period uh, correctly. It's got, it's got vehicles and some clothes, but even like the hairstyles look very much like the late 70s and not like the 1930s. Uh, now, to be fair, uh, the internet, uh, the New York Times specifically, does claim that roller derby was invented in 1935. Sure, absolutely. So it is possible... But the vari- the way that they do it in the movie, do you think what they were very- wearing was what they were wearing? In well, was what the- okay, that's what I'm getting to. The way they do it in the movie was very sort of pandering to an uh, late '70s, early '80s audience, and definitely characters are wearing things that look like jumpsuits. Like they yeah. look like, uh, you know, they don't look like they're in the '30s. They look like they might go break dance somewhere or something, you know. So yeah, that all of that was weird. I mean. 
all of it is very strange, you know. Yeah. I mean, even the idea that he's in Chicago, right? And so he's interacting with these Chicago gangsters, and uh, they're not Italian, they're not Irish, they're what? Like the guy who, with his mom, what was that guy's name? Jose Ferris, Dominici. I mean, he's got to be Italian. Did anything about that feel Italian to you? Well, his name was Dominici. <laughs> right. That's also, not what I mean. He was, he was clearly in the mafia. Those two things scream Italian to me. <laughs> Doug. <laughs> it's, by the way, yeah, it's Jose Ferrer, right? I mean... <laughs> Everything about the that scene is like they're wasps in New England. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, nothing about it says... Because even, even when these... Uh, I don't want to get into all that. The point is... Nothing about the movie is like, hey, let's get some of these details right. I mean, I, I, I guess it's an interesting thing where his uncle is both a martial arts master and a chiropractor. I guess that's like, oh, okay, cool. But even that feels a little hokey in some ways. And for the most part, it just feels like they they just wanted the movie to happen, and none of the. But like, but why matter. set it in the 1930s? Why not just have it be a contemporary movie? I don't see why you could still have the same. Fight tournament, couldn't you? I don't see why that would have been a big deal. No, then it would have been actual fighters. I think part of the appeal was him fighting these big hulking idiots who are just boxing each other's ears. I mean, I agree with you, but those were contemporary pro wrestlers for the most part of that time period. So I don't see how you couldn't still have them as 1980 fighters. You would need people who respect anything about what's... I, I just don't... It doesn't feel to me like anyone involved in this. That wasn't the point. It was all this weird spectacle. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and perhaps it felt like this story was easier to sell or was more interesting if it was set in the past. But I agree with you. It doesn't add anything, not a single bit to the story to have it set in the 1930s. There's nothing... There's nothing that needs to be there for that. Even, even the idea he's going to hop on a train to motherfucking San Francisco from Chicago to get her and then just mosey on back like it's NBD. That's a long trip, Doug, in the 1930s. This isn't like yeah. a short jaunt he's on. <laughs> and they literally treat it like he hopped in a he hopped on a train and then like the next afternoon was in San Francisco. Get the fuck out of here. What are we talking about? It's every part of the movie like that all feels haphazard. It's really just a bit of fun character work and then these fights that are filmed in a way like they're supposed to be cool and they're funny, but they're not cool. You know, if that no. if that distinction makes sense to people, because I want you to understand it is entertaining. But if you're there for ass kickery, you are not getting even a minute of ass kickery in this movie. We'll talk about whether there's any actual good fights in a moment. But I will say that this movie, it really gave me a better appreciation for the editing of Hong Kong Kung Fu movies as well, because it's in some of the action sequences. He's doing a lot of cool things, but it's still shot in a way where it's never as dynamic as it would have been in a much less expensive Golden Harvest movie as it is here. Now, Liam, one of the things that we already know is that Golden Harvest got Robert Klaus on board because, and, and some of the crew from Enter the Dragon, because they're trying to have another Enter the Dragon-like success. But is Jerry Kwan, the Jackie Chan figure here, the Jackie Chan character, is he supposed to be Bruce Lee-like in this movie? I assume not, because he's a fucking goofball. Isn't the whole thing with... 
Jackie Chan realizing he can't be Bruce Lee is that he's a fucking goofball and that it's better if he just is a goofball. This because, is comedy in a way that we've never seen Bruce Lee do a comedy. God, no. I don't know that Bruce Lee could. In real life, whenever Bruce Lee is funny, it's funny in a way that suggests he also fucks and murders people. That's like it. his kind of funny is like, hey, I'm wittily making fun of you because I fucking murder people and jackie chan's goofy is i smashed my finger look at me be a silly boy about it like you know what i mean like I, you know that's a little bit uh, i'm being a little disrespectful but it is a it is a self-deprecating uh over the top kind of humor that actually is the best part of this movie no one as self-serious as bruce lee or even i think some other sort of martial arts people we know could pull sure. this off I really think the only other person I can think of that could have done this movie at that time was Sammo Hung, right? Like, yeah. that's it. Mm -hmm. You got those two guys. Those are the only two. Everyone else, it's like, they're not going to be able to do this shit, man. But, like, that's an interesting point, right? So they obviously did craft this for Jackie Chan's talents specifically, but they didn't copy exactly the character that he had been playing in Drunken Master or Snake in the Eagle's Shadow. There are different things about this character, including one of the things that you said. This guy fucks. He has yeah. a white girlfriend, yeah. right? They never make a big deal over the fact that it's an interracial relationship, and it's not a sexless relationship. They, it is clear that they are two people who have sex with each other. And even though there's no like overt sex scene, even though there's buildup to it a few times, it, it. I will say it was somewhat refreshing after seeing this Jackie Chan play a series of kind of sexless characters in his Hong Kong performances to at least get that level of respect here not that they didn't respect him in hong kong but what i mean is when bringing that character over to the u.s a lot of the times they would drain the sex even more from it i think that's fair i still would have wanted more oh no absolutely oh you wanted him to fuck more <laughs> i mean yeah i or, or and a quick like even the scenes where i mean he literally has a scene where he's getting addressed with his lady friend and yeah. his uncle interrupts that scene's not sexy, though. You know what no. I mean? Like, people know there's a difference between this character has a sex life and this scene is sexy. And I do think, not that I want it to become an erotic thriller, but a little bit more sultriness in the movie, I think, would have been nice. But maybe that's just not up Jackie Chan's alley at all, you know? I, I sometimes think people underestimate the, how revolutionary Bruce Lee's fame was. Right. And, and how he completely destroyed people's... Uh, previous beliefs in regards to what certain things are sexy, what kind of body types are sexy, what kind of you know nationalities could be sexy to an American. And I think that that even though it broke through it a little bit, I think a lot of people afterwards were like, oh, that's just Bruce Lee. No one else is like that, right? When it's obviously not the case. And it's certainly we've, we've seen that thankfully broken through a lot since then. I do think it's interesting that they try to still make him a playful but adult figure. He's not like an infantilized character here like he would sometimes be treated in his interview appearances. Um, why wasn't this movie successful? Yeah. Why, why didn't it work? I mean, I think it's actually pretty entertaining, certainly as entertaining as a lot of the American-made martial arts or action movies of that time period. Why wasn't this successful? I mean, obviously, I don't know if people want a real answer. I don't really know. I, if I was going to guess, it could have been um, there isn't, another draw than him in the movie right like if if you don't know who jackie chan is why do you go see this movie it should have been steve martin with jackie chan as his little buddy 
I mean, I don't want to diminish Jackie Chan, <laughs> but this is still a little early in his career. I mean, when we move on from this movie, we still have a bunch of movies to talk about that are like not that big a deal. Like, I, sure. I, I think that it might have been a little early to try to break him into a new market. I also think, um, I don't know if this is why people didn't go see it, but maybe it was why it didn't get much respect is that outside of some of his performances in certain scenes, it's really just a goofy comedy that he happens to be in. It doesn't have a lot to sort of sell it to his kind of core audience. And I'm not convinced that America at the time was really into getting some sort of new martial arts person. You know what I mean? Like, this is post, of course, the the summer of 73 and all that, whatever, but it's so far from it, and there isn't a similar thing going on in other places. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like there needed to be a breakthrough of some other kind of fighting movie for this movie to grab an audience. You well, know? that does lead to a different question, though, which is if Jackie had kind of gotten his way and this movie had the sort of choreography and fighting that he was you know, getting over big in Hong Kong, if this was a Jackie Chan movie, would it have been more successful? This is where I feel ill-equipped, Doug, because sure. I don't really know what the advertising budget was. It's, I, I was going to really say, it's know. all about the marketing at that point, right? 100%. And about what's going on culturally. Like, um, one of the things we don't talk about enough is not just what a movie studio did to sell a movie, but what was going on in the culture at the time where, you know, like think about uh, the fact that Ar- Armageddon and Deep Impact, which are just different versions of the same thing, sure. came out at the same time and both did pretty, pretty good, right? Yeah. What was going on in the culture that we were like, yeah, you know what? Not one. We want two asteroid movies. Give us that shit. And then the, we went along. We were stoked on that. That was a thing that America was into. Because at other times, people have something where they're like, this is the next thing. And it comes out like a wet fart. And no one cares. And it doesn't matter what they spent. So I, I think part of it might just be this was just not what people were looking for when this thing came out. I, I, again, all of this is speculation, though, because I wasn't I was alive, but I was like one year old. So I didn't I don't know what was going on, actually. Uh, but it, but it seems like if the interest was that low, it might not matter if it was more of a Jackie Chan movie because maybe nobody cared one way or the other if it was good or not. Yeah, I think the fact is that people going into it, they wouldn't, most of the people going to see this movie or potentially going to see this movie wouldn't have cared about Jackie Chan as a performer because they didn't know anything about him. So the fact that it would be better or worse doesn't really matter as long as they came out of it entertained. This movie might have entertained them, but obviously the marketing didn't get a lot of people into the cinema in the first place. I mean, it matters to me only to the extent that if there was something else to sell the movie. And I guess that's sort of the bummer is that the best, even though I do find the movie overall entertaining, the best part of the movie is him being silly. Like, I like some of the other actors. There are parts of the movie that are kind of fun. But if you were to take him out of this movie, I have no fucking interest, Doug. And so part of me thinks, because he isn't a known factor, if they could have had anything else to also sell this movie maybe it would have done okay because people would have come and then been also charmed by him but like i don't know why anyone would go to see this movie 
really because it's he just isn't that known a figure and there's nothing else about the movie in my mind that's like worth caring about here's a thought experiment that i don't think i've ever heard before which is i wonder if the cannonball run which we're going to be covering on the next episode if that came out first making him more of a known entity even though he has a very small part in that movie at least from my memory if that would have helped this movie that then he would have been, you know, that would have established him because that was a big success. That Cannonball Run, a lot of people saw it. That would have given him that extra bit of profile that he needed to carry off starring in this movie. I think that's probably true. As we've talked about, I am currently, though we'll see if that changes on this rewatch, a Cannonball Run hater uh, yeah. to to an irrational amount. So I want to say no because fuck Cannonball Run. But I think logically that might have helped i don't know because i'll be quite honest doug i don't actually remember him in cannonball run so it might have been the opposite that like (laughs) it would have done even worse if it came out after cannonball run because nobody gave a fuck about him in cannonball run uh i've talked a lot of shit about robert klaus in the past i i don't think he necessarily does a great job as director here but he's fine but i will say that the thing that i have to give him credit for and this is something that i'll give credit in a lot of those movies that i've talked about in terms of him trying to get a martial arts star across to an audience is jackie chan is the star of this movie there's no other person that is being centered on right there's not it, there isn't a, another american character that is meant to sp- take a lot of the shine from him he is the center the story is about him it's all about his victory and frankly that is not even something that we saw when they tried to break him in the 90s they paired him up with owen wilson and they paired him up with uh, chris tucker right i mean they didn't there wasn't that confidence in him here they at least had the, the confidence when they were making it that he was going to be the star and whether that worked or not in this particular case i think there's something admirable about a movie in 1980 that went full in on jackie chan being the major star at the center of it i agree i just think it was not the time like i don't it, think it was the, i don't think it was the movie either yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> well that, that's what that's sort of what i'm saying it's like it's not the right time i don't think there's enough shine yet to justify that and the script and the movie itself is not good enough for that whereas I think you're right to question it in the 90s, like the problem with a movie like Rush Hour, though, I don't remember Rush Hour being that bad. So let's talk about the other oh, one, the West movie that he did with Owen Wilson. I think Shanghai, uh, I, I, Shanghai Noon is the first one, but I think those movies are all right, too. I don't I don't remember, honestly. We'll, we'll get there. Uh, but for me, those movies are only confusing in that, in my memory, after Rumble in the Bronx, people were interested in Jackie Chan. But that was just my bubble, and I didn't have a a forum like Twitter to get a read on the rest of the country. So maybe he really hadn't gotten into people's consciousness. No, I think he had, but they just went and re-released or released his current films at that point, right? They were just they released some of his old ones, and then they would also release like Mister Nice Guy and shit as they were coming out. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. It's just it's just interesting to me that like there wasn't a a, a more prominent American production. That was just him right around that time. You know, at least I don't remember one. I really just remember Rush Hour and Shanghai Noon. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I'm sure we're forgetting something. But yeah, I know it, it did kind of feel that way. Liam, we've talked a little bit about the action in this movie. There isn't really a... There is, I don't even think there's one fight that lives up to the higher level or even mid-level fights that we've seen in his Hong Kong movies. over The, the, the closest is against the, the brothers. 
He fights yes. the two Chinese brothers. That's almost a regular martial arts scene, but that's it's right. not quite. It's not. And it's very there. short as well. It's only yes, a couple. It's very of minutes short. Long. Yeah, yeah. That's it kind of really sticks one. out. It really sticks out in this movie, right? Because it's so much faster than everything else. Most of the people he fights in this movie are either untrained stuntmen, like like I shouldn't say that. Sorry, are either just him fighting actors in very short sequences where he mostly is just doing a lot of slapstick, or him fighting big burly wrestlers who could barely move, and him just kind of you know moving around them getting the upper hand do you think liam that he would have come off better in this movie if he just beat the shit out of these people really easily like a bruce lee character would have i can't say that that's the case doug because the parts that i enjoyed the most were him being a fucking goofball i know i know it's and the that's best also part of his character right he, yeah it's his whole idea like we made that joke in the most recent episode it's like a lot of what Jackie is known for is running away from the violence, right? Yes. Getting away from it and avoiding yes. it. He does get to do a bit of that, and it it can work with these kind of larger, burlier characters. It's just that these guys were not trained at all in this kind of it fighting. Would have, it would have made sense for him to have a couple of fights that were a little better, as well as the goofy stuff. Yeah. But no Especially one was the last half hour of this is just one fight, one burly dude fighting another burly dude well, after another and, and that's the thing right none of these wrestlers or stuntmen or whatever none of them are doing anything interesting either like i i really think if they could have done a more again it can still be very americanized very much like two guys trying to just punch each other in the face that's fine uh but having that against him rather than this goofy wrestling stuff, which, which again, when I say that, let me just say it's a certain kind of wrestling, right? Like there's plenty of wrestling that's very brutal or at least can pretend to be brutal in some way. Right. Yeah. yeah. This is the goofiest version, right? No yeah, yeah. one in this is doing anything where you're like, yeah, that would work in a fight. It's just a bunch of guys fucking hugging each other. Yeah. And it's really <laughs> and kissing weird. each other, and kissing each other actually, <laughs> which is maybe one of the better parts of the movie. I don't know. Yeah, it's odd. So you would say that the the fight against the um, the the two brothers, the Wu brothers, is the best fight in the movie. It is certainly the best fight if we're judging it by the actual violence. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of moments where he's just being a silly silly guy that I would take over that fight because he's <laughs> such a little he's such a silly man that like that's guy. more fun for me. <laughs> it just is right. Like he's just if he's if we're gonna have him be serious and like actually beating people up, then at least have those people be able to do anything. Most of the movie, he's just fighting henchmen, you know, or he's fighting people who like aren't impressive, and it's just not. It's not as engaging when he's trying to get away from people and he's doing silly stuff and just happens to get them. That's great. That's like the best shit. I love it. I, I want to explain a little bit more that thing that you were referring to in regards to his sister-in-law, his future sister-in-law. So what happens in the movie is that Jackie Chan's brother is a doctor. His character's brother is a doctor, and he's been in a long-distance relationship where he's been writing back and forth to this woman in China who is now coming to visit him in the United States so they can get married. And that character is played by Rosalind Chow, Chief O'Brien's wife from Star Trek. <laughs> and she does show up. Jackie goes and, and, and meets her at the bus station because his um, or the train station because his brother can't make it. And what happens is that she gets kidnapped by Jose Ferrer's character because it's a way to get Jackie to have to fight in this tournament for him. Oh, you know, classic movie stuff. <laughs> but the thing that isn't classic movie stuff is... Since his brother has never seen a picture of this woman, they have swapped out a prostitute 
And now she's going to see the brother and say that she is the woman that he has been writing to. And they're going to get married, theoretically. We never see that actually happen. Rosalind Chow's character, she gets kidnapped. She gets put away. Jackie keeps asking about her. We never see her again for the rest of the movie. Liam, what happened to that character? Did they kill her? According to the end, <laughs> the dude who's certainly showed himself to be trustworthy up to this point, <laughs> he just says, okay, I'll see you in Chicago. I'll take care of it. How is, he going to, gonna... how is Jackie going to explain that he delivered the wrong woman who then is pretending to be the right woman to his brother? How can that possibly be explained? Look, Doug, he beat... <laughs> the scary giant white man and now he's gonna have all this money and him and his girlfriend are gonna go and not have sex off screen and like that's all that matters we don't need to know the details of the other stuff i don't know man it doesn't make any sense it, 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 the way the movie ends literally feels like they're like we ran out of money see you later like it's just like they just and and maybe it's just the idea is that we are so focused on the betrayal of two characters whose names I couldn't even keep straight so I didn't care about the betrayal that like suddenly our villain is no longer our villain his henchman is now our villain and he's now our good guy it doesn't make any sense Doug it's just a there should be some sort of resolution and there isn't and it I don't get it why why is the villain gonna let Jackie keep the money after winning the tournament like his because he's bet on Jackie, I guess, and he's going to make a lot more money that way, or is it just bragging rights? I guess it doesn't really matter. Liam, as I've already mentioned, there's a roller derby sequence in this. The movie just stops for like 20 minutes. So Jackie, his girlfriend, and a third friend of ours, played by an actor who later married Fran Drescher, and then they got a divorce because he came out as gay, and they are still really good friends. That's what I read about him after (laughs) watching this movie. Uh, They are a trio of roller derby participants who are, and this isn't like traditional roller derby on a track, they're rolling in a uh, track that sorry, they're rolling in a place where they have to be surrounded by people at all times, and there's like uh, obstacles that they have to get around as well, including a part where they have to jump off of a little ledge and fall into some mattresses, and then get also squirted with water hoses. And also, apparently, it's legal for anyone just to interfere with them at all times. It's a relay race, but you can just like pick up the the relay uh, baton thing and just keep it from them, and that's okay. And that's, I guess, what he does with his spare time. Liam, what did you think of this roller derby sequence? It's actually a lot of fun. I wanted to say something negative because it is, from a narrative point of view, (laughs) a complete waste of time. It doesn't (laughs) need to be in the movie. It serves no purpose other than for us to further see that he's cooler than other people, which we already kind of know, and to further show that these gangsters are not trustworthy, though... That doesn't help the narrative, actually, to see that the gangsters aren't trustworthy, because then why does he trust them later? It doesn't make any sense. But it just shows us that he's really tenacious, I guess, is what's accomplished in this sequence. It goes on forever. But, Doug, it's a lot of fun. I had fun with this. Yeah, I thought too. it was a lot me of too. fun. I love the goofiness of it. The fact that they never mention roller derby at all for the rest no. of the movie. He never puts on a pair of skates. It is completely something you could just remove from the movie entirely. It's so ridiculous. Who knows why it's here? <laughs> it feels like something you put in the movie so that you can put it in the trailer and then people will come because they like roller derby and not realize that this isn't actually what the movie's about or has much to do with what the movie's about. 
Now, Jackie would go on to uh, do more roller skating stunts, specifically in Winners and Sinners, which we'll see in a few episodes. Uh, so he obviously, you know, there was potential there. By the way, there's a lot of potential in this sequence for Jackie to do a lot of really interesting physical things. He doesn't. He doesn't really get to do anything here. This this could be out of any other kind of comedy movie, you know, a, a, maybe a slobs versus snobs movie where they have to do a, a, a roller derby relay race at the end. It just feels like something from an entirely different movie and one from the late 70s, not from the 1930s. But yeah, it is entertaining, so I can't knock it too much. It's I certainly wasn't bored by it. Liam, Jackie mentioned several times in all of his books and in interviews that he was learning a lot of the language phonetically. He was, you know, re- uh, memorizing his lines over and over again. Did you find that you could tell that he didn't... That Do you think you could tell that he was learning ph- the, the lines phonetically when you watch it? Like, how is his dialogue? Is it hard to make out? Is it hard to understand? No, I thought it was fine. I mean, I thought yeah, it me was... Too. I thought it was uh, very solid. It's not as perhaps an emotional performance, but I don't know. There's not really much for him to do in the range of his emotions. Is he charming? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, think so. He's kind of goofy, but that's the point. I know? think his performance is at least as good as most of the supporting performers in this. Certainly a lot better than the really no no character uh, opponents that he fights in the final 30 minutes, even the the kissing guy. You know, he, he I think he comes off as being cool and interesting and charismatic i don't think it it really comes across that he 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 felt stiff right even i mean we've seen him be worse in hong kong movies from a few years earlier i mean i i would say that some of the other people get to be a bit more silly you know yeah um and maybe that would have been he would have felt better getting to do more of that but Overall, no, I think it's a strong performance considering the barriers in front of him. You know, it's maybe not as compelling as stuff we'll see at other times, but I don't think it needs to be, you know. The final question, Liam, could this version of Jackie, so the Jackie that is presented in this movie, if this movie had been a success, could it have turned him into a big star in America that would have continued Right? Is this the is was this a version of Jackie that could have been a huge mainstream star in 1980? No. Why? There's not enough here. It's just not it's it's even though he is the focus, I don't think there's enough here for for people to say, "Oh man, I want to see that guy in something else." Right? I just don't think it is like again, for me the breakout Jackie movie was Rumble in the Bronx. Like yeah. that was a thing. There's so much there to love, and there's just not enough here, I think, for people to latch on to. It's I think fun, if you market, if you market it as, what if Bruce Lee but silly, right? That's that's as far as the concept, I think, went here. I think that's true, but I don't think there's enough then to walk away from this movie and go, I want more from this guy. You right. know, I just think they needed, as much as I agree with you, that they do focus on him above other characters. There's not enough here, I think, that would make me go... I want more from this person. I'll watch whatever he does next. I just don't think this is the movie for that. What if this movie, instead of being the big brawl, was Police Story? Except an American version of that, with with the exact same kind of stunts and things like that. Could that have broken him in the U.S.? I guess so, but now it just feels like, what if a horse was also a whale? It's only, I don't know. It's only a few years away, right? And, and it's not like they didn't have the money to do it. If they had made a movie like Police Story... Why couldn't they at, in 1980 and allowed him to do the kind of things he wanted to do? Okay, sure. 
How about how about making it a little bit simpler? What if when Police Story came out, they released it in a wide form in the U.S.? Could that have been a success? Like as a dubbed uh, movie in in American theaters? I I don't know, man. I guess so. I I, I don't know. All <laughs> this is too. We're too doing. I don't. The, 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 I, I like the movie. That's what I got. I don't know. What you want. <laughs> I just because this is such a weird kind of turning point for Jackie Chan. In some ways, it's great that the big brawl wasn't a success, even though he seems still a little down about it when he writes and talks about it, because it meant that eventually, after his experience with the Cannonball Run, he's going to go back and make some of his biggest successes and most impressive films ever. And he probably wouldn't have made those if this movie was a big success, or they would have been made in some other altered, different way. Maybe he would have made a bunch of movies just like this if it was a success. So it's probably a good thing, you know, for the... For, for really everybody involved, it's probably a good thing. But it's just weird. You know, it's just odd to think of of why this film wasn't successful and what the world would have looked like with this movie as a success. Liam, there was a movie that Jackie Chan made in the United States that was a financial success. It was the movie he made <laughs> reluctantly immediately after this one. 1981's The Cannonball Run starring Burt Reynolds, Liam. And I believe Dom DeLuise, your favorite, also shows up. Are you happy about that? No. What are your memories of the Cannonball Run? You said before you you're not a fan of it. What what, it, what about it does not appeal to you? I don't. I I just remember seeing it and thinking that's this is stupid. I don't know why people like this, but um, I don't remember enough about it to really know. Other than as I've said before, every moment I meant to watch Dom DeLuise is a moment of torture for which someone should have to pay a price. I like the concept of a bit. We talked about this in when we did uh, Cannonball on our Paul Bartel podcast, this concept of a big, you know, uh, race across a country, everyone heading to one thing, like it's a mad, 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 mad world, where you have a bunch of celebrities in it, a bunch of familiar faces, a very light tone, a lot of people, you know, car stunts and familiar faces and star. I think that that kind of stuff could be really fun. And really, this is the biggest example of it of this time period. So yeah, I'm very curious about revisiting Hal Needham's The Cannonball Run from 1981 on the next episode of We Do Our Own Stunts. And I hope, listeners, that you'll join us. Liam, if people want to check out more episodes of We Do Our Own Stunts and other wonderful podcasts of No, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, they can, of course, head over to cinepunks.com, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. That's where the latest episodes of this show is, as well as a whole family of great podcasts, many of which I'm not on, so that's great. Uh, they can, of course, go to our website, Doug, cinemasmorgasbord.com, where uh, we have the archive of all the different uh, topics we cover. You can find them by show if you want to specifically hear not just we do our own stunts, but uh, Praise and Kane, our Carol Kane podcast, or How Do You Develop Kids, our Steve Buscemi-focused uh, podcast. Uh, and, of course, they can find Cinepunks on various social media platforms, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. As Leah mentioned, at Cinema Smokersburg, you can find podcasts devoted to such diverse topics as the career of Carol Kane, Jackie Chan, of course, uh, Paul Bartel, Alejandro Jodorowsky, Vic Diaz, so much more, including Dick Miller over at cinemasmorgasbord.com or on Twitter at cinemasmorg, S-M-O-R-G. You can find Liam on Twitter at Liam Rules, that's R-U-L-Z. I, of course, have been banned from Twitter for all times, but you can find me on Blue Sky at dougtilly.bsky.social. Why don't you uh, check me out over there? <laughs> and you can find Cinema Smorgasbord on Facebook as well. But for now, Liam... We need to say goodnight. We're going to be back very soon with one of your favorites, The Cannonball Run from 1981. Good night, everyone. Night-night.